This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got books. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls girls who read. read. Hi, Melissa. We're so excited. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Allegra and Erin. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're fangirling. We are. We did so sad today. We covered it on the pod. You're a sad girl. We knew we had to have you on. Yes, yes, yes. And then we got to read Death Valley, which is, I can't sum it up. So let's start from the beginning. But Melissa, are you a sad girl this week? I am. Um, This is, it's been a really challenging year for me. Um, And what's interesting about it is that, you know, in Death Valley, right? It's Death Valley is this... um, journey through what I call like the desert of grief. And when you're a writer, um, you know, your characters like have this arc and then they kind of disappear on the last page having completed their arc, but the writer still goes on. So, right. And she's, and the writer is still dealing with, with, uh, different issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this, so the way that I saw it, was it part memoir, part fiction, Death Valley? Like, could you explain kind of what that was? Definitely. So I think in some ways this book is like, this novel is the closest to autofiction of all of my novels. And in the same, at the same time, it's the biggest departure of all my novels, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it was funny when I was recording the audiobook um, because there are a lot of similarities, like um, my father was in a car accident in 2020 on the East Coast. Um, he was in the ICU for six months. I wasn't able to go see him because of COVID um, and before he died. And and I was able to see him the last three months. But so there's that. I have a husband who's disabled. You know, like the, the protagonist is a writer. So there's a lot of overlap. But then um, the protagonist enters a giant cactus and encounters her loved ones as a child. I have yet to do that. Um, and... Uh, she also um, gets very lost in the desert. I got lost for about 45 minutes. She gets lost for multiple days. Okay. I was, I needed to know. I, I thought was, for sure lost. you were lost for days. Yeah. I was on a hike last week with my fiance and I was like, oh my God, I just read this book and she got lost for days and she was crawling on the floor and I fully believed you got lost. But it, I think that's such a testament to how good the metaphor is because like, you were crawling through this desert of grief. We both thought it was completely real. Oh, I really thought you got lost for days. Yeah. So um, when I, once I had come up with the idea for the book and um, the idea of like this cactus where you encounter your loved ones as a child, I went to go do a, um, like a, a sort of desert recon trip. And I went um, to this area called Zabriskie Point um, where uh, nobody gets lost. It's it's an area of Death Valley. It's like a touristy area. Well, I got completely lost after 45 minutes. I didn't have any water with me because I'm an idiot. I only had Coke Zero. I was like crying. Like, how long have I been out here? It had been like 10 seconds. <laughs> um, 
And I did, I did what you're not supposed to do, which is that I panicked and mm-hmm. I climbed up this rock face trying to get back and I got like all cut up. And um, yeah. And um, when I got back to the car, when I finally like found my way back, I was like, uh, like, and stopped crying. I was like, oh, now I know what has to happen in the novel. Like the protagonist is going to get lost and she's going to get lost for more than 45 minutes. Oh, wow. So is that moment how you chose this book or how the book chose you? That was how, like, I guess the second two third, like the two, mm. the back two thirds of the book chose me. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I Do love you it. love a best Western? Love a best Western. Okay. But, it, but the book exactly. isn't in, the book's not entirely auto fiction because, um, you know, the protagonist has never earned enough points for a free night, but I, <laughs> I have many times over. Humble brag. That is so Humble iconic. Brag. When you were at the Best Western, it reminded me of a time I stayed at this motel when I was doing a show in California and the people that worked at that desk, I will never forget them. They're all such gems. And the way you described their personality, like I could smell them. Like it was so vivid. How did you come up with those two characters? Um, well, it's funny, like I've had, I've never, so there's, there's the two front desk workers, there's Jethra and Zip. And for those listening, Jethra is, um, like is she's an Eastern European um, alien lover. She loves she loves aliens. A lot of people who are um, in the desert, you know, are are, are fans of aliens. And um, the book is set about three hundred miles from Area Fifty One. Um, so, and then there's Zip, who's like, and Jethro's like the protagonist's age. She's like in her forties. And then there's Zip, who I imagine that looks he looks like Machine Gun Kelly, and he's like he loves to like explain, um, like he likes to like explain the key cards or like explain the, like the grab and go breakfast or like explain cacti, you know? And he's like hot, but like until he speaks, you know? So there are these two sort of opposite. Yes. Whereas Jethro's like very, she has like some insights actually about grief. So they're sort of like antithetical to one another. Um, Jethro's shaped like a, a ripe tomato and, um, Zip is shaped like a spear of asparagus. So they're sort of these contrasting characters. Oh, I do love that. You were like, which one do I want to sleep with first? Exactly. Well, the character is, yes. Yeah. But yeah. I, they just, I just made, they came out of my head. Your brain is awesome. Like, we yeah. love your brain. And it we was, also, go ahead, Allegra. Oh, so it was giving like milk fed nostalgia a little bit for some reason. Jethra reminded me of the Jewish woman in Milk Fed. And I died for that book. Like that might be my favorite book ever written. So it, it really, like, it brought me back to that. Yeah, she definitely has some Miriam characteristics. And and I've heard from people that Jeff, like a lot of people um, have said that Jethro is their favorite character in Death Valley. Someone even said they're going to be doing Jethro fanfic, which is really fun. That's amazing. She needs yeah. a spinoff. She does. She's the breakout star. Yeah, she really is. Um, yeah. If you're auditioning, let me know. Uh, you said about the Jewish character, I, I was going to ask you, Melissa, but this is so off topic. I'm also a Jew and, um, you were talking about your mom being superstitious. I thought that was just like my Jewish mom that was superstitious. Sorry, the character's mom, but is your mom really superstitious or where do you get that from? Sure. So in the book, there's the kin- the Kinahora, which my mom calls mm-hmm. a Kinahera with her Philly accent. And right oh now I'm actually God. doing this from my mom's house. I, oh. I came to Philly to do some, I have a bar mitzvah and a book <laughs> event um, here in Philly. So 
Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm literally like at the scene of, of the crime. So my mom is very into the Kinahora. I mean, the mother character in the book is not entirely based on my mom, but, Mm -hmm. um, but there was an incident like throughout the time my dad was in the ICU with like these Amazon sweatpants in question. Like my mom became upset, like, so in order to get my my own father and and also the protagonist as well, like if the father is able to make it to rehab to like physical rehab uh, from the ICU, he the mother knows that uh, the mother finds out that he's going to need sweatpants. So like there's this whole thing with like they order the five pairs of the protagonist orders the five pairs of sweatpants and then like the father is still like not getting out of the hospital and the mother thinks it's bad luck to have ordered the sweatpants like too early because it, and that it's giving it a kind of horror, the evil eye, right? It's anticipating too good of an outcome (laughs) because if you order the sweatpants and he's not ready to be out of the hospital yet, then the sweatpants could keep him in the hospital. It's sort of like bringing in, like not bringing an umbrella, it will rain. Yes, we did that. We did that. We did walking in different like if you walked in one door you had to leave out that door you couldn't leave out another door you couldn't open an umbrella inside you like you were done you were absolutely done forever so i'm cursed you know but what's I didn't- about that though is i think that like breeds magical thinking that breeds anxiety and that might even breed like ocd in some people like erin it kind of makes sense to me if that's like how you were raised in part like believing that certain things can make things happen like that's well, they what can I allegra that's what, I, that's what I thought about when I was reading it. I was like, wow, this is like really giving magical thinking. Like that must've been so difficult. Yeah. the ma- And the mat, I mean, it's funny too, because like that line between imagination and like the imagination used to create art versus the imagination used in anxiety and to some degree depression, right? Like Mm. um, negative, you know, like negative imagination, right? Like imagination that like projects doom, like it's paper thin. It's a a very thin membrane, you know, and what can be like a blessing in terms of um, creativity can also be like a real challenge. That is so interesting you said that because I find as an actor, like one of, and I'm sure as a writer and Allegra as a therapist, I feel like they're all creative endeavors. And the thing that makes us the best artists is because we're so emotional and so readily available with our emotions, but then it also causes the most pain. How do you navigate that? Like, how do you stay sane when you're writing? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, for me, writing is really the thing. It's the proper use of my imagination, Mm. if that makes sense. Like writing is like sort of the highest form of, and also like when I'm torturing sentences, I'm not torturing myself. You know, it gives the mind like a problem to chew on, which the mind can really need. It gives the mind, um, a place if, if you need to dissociate, you know, like it's a place to go. Um, And so for all those reasons, um, you know, I think writing for me, like, especially when it's a novel, which is like involves so many moving pieces is really like can create a sense of purpose and meaning um, and structure for that wild imagination and for that intensity of emotion. Whereas like when it's applied to uh, oneself and one's life, like it can really get very haywire. Yes. Yeah. No, it's so true. Like I have OCD and anxiety. I treat OCD and anxiety and 
I find that people who are anxious, people who have OCD tend to be the most creative people. And like, I feel my therapist said to me like eight years ago, like Allegra, your brain is so creative. And it's like, well, it also fucked me over. Mm. So on one hand, like I'm a writer as well. Like I love that creativity. On the other hand, like my brain will go places and it's like, how did we get there? How did we get there? You know, but that's just like the power of a very creative, imaginative brain. Totally. Totally. It's almost like in a way it is like, um, getting lost in the desert or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but you continue, like, it's like, do you ever have those experiences where you're like, like I'm sober, I've been sober for 18 years. And, um, like a lot of my sober friends talk about like how you, like before they, before we got sober, like you'd end up like sort of in a blackout and you're like, how did I get here again? And I feel like with thinking it's the same way. Like you end up in like a thinking blackout and you're like, how the fuck did I get here again? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it feels before you have the tools to help yourself, it feels like you're not doing anything. It's just happening to you Mm -hmm. because you're so used to it. At least for me, like I was so used to the same patterns of thinking and what like, is it CBT where you stop those patterns? Yeah. And even mindfulness, I love mindfulness for that because it creates awareness. Like so often we're ruminating without recognizing that we're ruminating and having that ability to stop and say, wait, this is something that I'm doing. This is not helpful. I'm going to come back to the now, which is like coming back to your writing. Like you are turning your attention to something that actually is helpful instead of like the made up fucked up possibilities in the mind. Totally. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to keep coming back to the now, like every minute, you know? Yeah. Every five seconds. Every second. Yes. I was sick. It was like, boom, boom. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But do you believe that we can like rewire the brain to an extent? A like million percent. We can train our brain. If you would have known me eight, maybe I guess it was like nine years ago, I was night and day. I always say this to people, especially like my clients who are suffering. I had like the racing intrusive thoughts like 24 seven. Like there was not a moment where it wasn't just like boom, 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 boom. And I had to live like that. Now I still get intrusive thoughts, but I would say it's like probably like 98% less than I used to. Like it is, I never believed that this would have been possible. So I promise it is absolutely possible to rewire the brain. We just, it takes a lot of diligence. You have to do like boot camp. Yeah. That's what it is. It's building muscles, but you're building like mind muscles instead of actual muscles. Yeah. What's it called? Your uh, neuroplasticity where you can like- Yeah, the brain changes. Yeah. I'm a scientist too, guys. I'm a doctor. You're and a doctor, a scientist. scientist. Yeah. I read one word online and I'm a freaking scientist. A Reddit doctor. Yes. I have so many questions about your writing. Also, I took your writing workshop and it was fucking amazing. I took it in December. I think it was in December. Um, died for it. But one of the reasons that I've always been so drawn to you is because of your honesty. Like you just write, even when you're writing about characters, like you write about the beauty that you find in them. And I, it's like there are traits that I think the world would say are conventionally like not attractive, which is really fucked up, but you write about them as if like they are the most attractive people. And you talk about things like vomit fetishes and just like you open up your entire soul to the reader. Like, how did that happen? How did you come to that writing voice? Like, were you nervous? Was it something that just you always had with you? Um, it's a good question. I don't know how I came to be 
able, well, I, okay. I'll say this, like a lot of times people talk about like likable protagonist and the unlikable protagonist. Right. And, um, with my characters, like I definitely get asked a lot, like about like, you know, or like kind of people are like, oh, well you, you know, you do these unlikable protagonists. And I'm always like, to me, they're extremely likable. You <laughs> I know? love them. Yes. Right? I love them. Yes. So I think it's like an organic thing. Like, it's just like, um, like, it's not about trying to be like salacious or, um, we, or weird, or, you know, it's kind of like, this is the way that I know human experience to be like we both from inside myself and also from others, like we do contain multitudes. That reminds me of page 38. If anyone's following along, you say you, the book you read and this woman was unraveling and you said, oh. all I could or all I could think was who unravels this neatly, like without zero messes or catharsis. And that is so true. So many, and I hate when actors do this too, like they're crying and like, it's so pretty. Like, no, we want to see the mess. We want to see you be ugly because that is human. And that's why Allegra and I read your books and it feels like you're just talking to us. We're like, it's so, there's so much humanity in it that it's, I don't know. You have such a gift at, being honest and real. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know any other way to be on the page in life. It's weird too, because as a writer, like I have, I have a lot of comfort, like being very honest or very, um, raw in writing, but in my body, like as a human Mm. walking around the planet, it's like, it's like almost it's so much more terrifying, like being embodied and doing it, you know? I get that. Yeah. It really is. Do you ever struggle with like writing about people in your life or I guess what other people are going to think about what you write? Yeah. I mean, I think that like the, when I, um, am drafting, I don't, but during the editing process is when I start to like, well, first of all, you have to like, I, I, you know, that's when I start to focus on lucidity and how, um, you know, like how something is going to be perceived and, um, just the way that like, it's a really like the editing is when I focus really on like the communication, you know? Um, so that is, definitely. Um, there's like a distinction, I think. And then like when it's being published, like as a novel, I think it's like less challenging because you're like, it's a work of fiction, you know? So like this novel, the Pisces milk fed were like a lot easier, I think during the publishing process to just be like, you know, but with so sad today, like people will still read that book. Like my, my 80 year old aunt Judy will be like, (laughs) um, like, is like, I read, like, I read so sad today. And I'm just like, Oh my God. And I feel like someone has read my diary and like, I've been violated except I put it out in the world. Yes. So no. Judy didn't drop dead though. She's still alive. Judy said, this is okay. Judy, Judy said, I like it. And Judy's like my biggest supporter. She's coming to a reading in oh. Philly next Wednesday oh. that I'm doing oh. at the public library. So cool. We were going to come to the New York one. I know. I love the center for fiction. Yeah. Center for fiction is really cool. We wanted to give you hugs. Where do you guys live? Where in New York? I'm in Washington Heights um, in Allegra. I'm in Brooklyn Heights. Cool. We're both in the Heights. I've lived in um, New York for 10 years. I was Mm -hmm. in um, Manhattan for five and then Borum Hill for five. 
Where am I, I live for Borham Hill, Cobble Hill, cutest neighborhoods. Yeah, they're good. Can I ask New York or LA? Like, what would you say if you had well, to pick? It's funny because I've been in LA for 10 years. I didn't want to move there. And um, it actually has like overall been great. But I think that it, LA can be like a pretty isolating place. Like, yeah. um in terms of just everything is so spread out. So it was actually like a really good place to be during the pandemic in the sense that like we had more space, more room, but then like afterwards, I feel like I never really came out of the, like, it's still been pretty, you know, like isolated. And so we're actually considering maybe moving back to the East coast after 10 years. I know, wow. but I don't know where, like, I'm not sure where we would move because my husband's disabled. So, um, I would love to move back to New York City, but I, he needs more space, like, because he's home a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be, like, homebound in an apartment. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Speaking of your husband and the protagonist's husband, I loved how you talked, again, so honestly and so unfiltered about being with someone who's chronically ill. Like, so many people would be scared to say the truth. But when someone finally writes the truth and you read it for the first time, like in So Sad Today and in Death Valley, you said certain things. I texted Allegra. She texted me and we're like, oh, my God, like, I'm not crazy. Someone else has this exact thought. We're all thinking it, but you said it. Thank God. <laughs> that you said that is it. exactly what it is. You say what we're all thinking. Mm, that's a superpower. That is. That's awesome. And, but what I think is amazing, like what you said, I'm still stuck on what you said about like, this just is me. It's not you doing this because like, you think that people will like this. Like it just truly is you loving other humans. And I think that that is so rare. Like, I think for you to write about like having a disabled husband and to write about fat and I use fat as a descriptor, not as anything bad, like fat folks who are loved, like the world needs that so much. And I, I just love that that is like your honest truth. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I do, I think I've always, one of my like best qualities is that like, I'm, I'm a very judgmental person of myself, like extremely, like very, very like to a fault, but of others I'm not. And, um, I guess that comes through. It does. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. So you you write about, and the protagonist writes about, I keep getting you and the protagonist confused. I'm so sorry. That's okay. The protagonist writes The line about, is fine. <laughs> she writes about grief being really isolating. And I want to ask about, like, how do you cope with grief, Melissa? What are your coping skills? Yeah. And how did that inform the protagonists? Sure. So I'm still learning. And I think like, like the protagonist, um, you know, the protagonist sort of judges herself for her feelings, right? Like there's like a, there's like two things going on for her. Like there's like the, the, what she's experiencing inside herself. And then there's like a narrative about what she's experiencing inside Mm -hmm. herself. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's sort of like watching herself think and watching herself feel, which like, yes, there's mindfulness. And then there's like the non um, helpful ways of doing that, you know? Mm. Um, and she's definitely, I'd say in category B. And I found that like during my own grieving process of my father, like the first, like within like two weeks after he died, like I was really like judging myself for like what, like, because I didn't want to feel sad, you know? And I was just like, um, are you ever going to come out of this? Like, you know, like, will you ever be okay? Will you ever feel okay again? You know, just like this really, this aversion to discomfort, right? An aversion to discomfort. And I think like the protagonist is also, I mean, she flees to the desert to try to escape a feeling, right? But unfortunately the feeling is inside you. So you take it with you. Mm. My God, every fucking day of my life. I'm like, where can I go next? Where can I, where can I move? I'm like, do I go back to LA? Do I go to fucking Idaho? always running from that feeling. And like, it really just does live within you. It does. Allegra, are you from LA? I'm from, so I grew up in Orange County and then I lived in LA for six years, moved to New York. It's my third year here. And I constantly am torn between LA and New York. Like LA is slower. I think I like the sunshine. It's like less expensive. At least I think it is. But I think New York is so much more stimulating and fun. I fear that like moving back to LA is settling somehow, which I know that that's like not what it is, but it's like the battle in my head every single day. Allegra is a fetus and she is, she is a young girl. She has her whole life. I'm 29 and I'm terrified for my life. Okay. (laughs) I am still single. I want five children. Um, And dating in New York is fucking terrible. I don't know (laughs) what. thought about like LA versus New York. If you dated, I am like, the Lord needs to just plop someone down. Cause I'm done. I'm done. It's so bad. The Lord <laughs> needs to plop someone. No, down. I'm like, I'm like to my therapist. I'm like, please. She's like, Alekra, I just don't know. Like <laughs> someone, anyone, Melissa, she's young. Come on. She okay, has time. But if you want to have like four kids, I'm not saying I'm like old, but like that biological. Well, then you're going to have to pop them out real quickly. And you know what? I believe you can do that. You're going to go pop, pop, pop. I'm still hooked on Dom Gabriel. He's my TikTok crush. So let's pray. Let's okay. pray. Did you like dating in New York, Melissa? Um, well, I had sort of a weird experience because I moved to New York when I was 24 and I met my husband like Aww. within like two months of no within like a month but we we were together for five years monogamously and then we had an open marriage for five years um so and that period I was definitely dating in New York it was interesting like I think also the types of people who were attracted who were like drawn to me you know were not like I mean I wasn't going to be like in a commitment and if they're drawn to someone who's married like they're not looking for a commitment you know so it was like I had sort of a strange experience of it that's interesting to think about yeah. Can I ask about your open marriage? You were together five years and what made you decide to try the open marriage? I guess just like, because life is really long. And then we've been monogamous again for, I guess, like eight years or nine years. So, And how'd you been, go back? Um, we just like, it was time, you know, mm. like, I think I, I sort of felt for someone who is like the inspiration for Theo and the Pisces. And I felt like if I ended up keeping it open, like that, I was going to like, sort of fuck my way out of the marriage, you know, like it was just, yeah. So that's so beautiful. And yeah. like, we were talking about open relationships last night. How did you meet your husband? I had, um, I used to have this party in New York called drinkers with writing problems. Like when I first moved there. 
I'm like writing, I'm like, should I do one of those? <laughs> yeah. And he came, he, I met him through like, uh, his, like his friend was friends with one of my friends. And so wow. he just came to that oh. at the library bar, which still exists on, I think it's Avenue A. It's either A or I know B. exactly. It's yeah. so cute. I know library. exactly what you're talking about. I used to live right there in the East Village. Yeah, that's yeah. So the library, that was where we met. That's romantic. Okay, that is romantic. We love. We love, love, love. I know Aaron like really loves this. Aaron, ask about the love is an action feeling. Because I have severe relationship OCD with my romantic relationships, with friend with everything. I'm just questioning my relationships 24-7, no matter what. And you talk about love being an action, not just a feeling. Can you talk more on that? Because that sentence kind of warmed my heart. So with relationships, um, I think that, I mean, ROCD is so common. I think like anything that's like uncertain, right? And so it's like love, like how do you even define love? Like it's, you know, like as a feeling, right? Like that feelings are fleeting. They come and go, they feel real, but like how do we know? Right. So it's like this sort of, there's that uncertainty, but love is a verb. That's like commitment. Right. And like showing up and like responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, sort of, um, I don't know, that's all, that's, that's a totally different animal. And it's something that in ourselves, we can be certain of like, you know, the, the act of love, right. Not the feeling, but the act. Mm. That's so wise and mature, especially I feel like the older I get, the more I realize that is so true, especially in a long term relationship with a healthy partner. It's just I mean, it is really just like showing up. And Allegra, you said the other day, like every day is different. Feelings are fleeting. But as a creative, sometimes you like think you're supposed to feel a certain way all the time. And that fucks with you, too. You're like, but I should feel like this. Anyway, and society. I mean, look at like every rom com, look at every like Disney movie. It's like the happily ever after fairy tale. We feel this feeling all the time. Nobody feels that feeling, even with your friends. Like, if I'm around my friends long enough, like you're fucking annoying me. Yeah. You know, it goes for everyone. Aaron's, I've been there. (laughs) I'm going wedding dress shopping this weekend with my mom, which took a long time to get to the point where I would actually go wedding dress shopping because I'm. I have an eating dis- I've had an eating disorder. I'm just like lots of things. But anyways, that was like a in itself to just show up and go and not I, I'm like, well, it has to be perfect. I have to feel so excited. I have to feel like I look good. And my therapist was like, you're just going to it's going to be what it's going to be. Like, stop putting pressure on it to be the certain way. And I feel like that's so much of my mental illness is what it should be, you know? It's like emotional, um, emotional perfectionism. Yes. Right? Like I'm supposed to feel this way. Yes. I should feel this way. And also like comparing our insides to other people's outsides, you know? So like, like yeah. my curse mm-hmm. with every couple I see, it's so bad. Yeah. 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 It's like comparing our insides to other people's outsides, I think is like definitely, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. I love wow. the way you said that. Oh, why? Because I'll be like, well, this one girl went wedding dress shopping and she did this, this and this. And it was the best day of her life. My therapist is like, how do you know? And I'm like, because TikTok, because she said on TikTok and it was perfect. I'm like, you're an idiot, Aaron. Like, come on. Yeah. 
no, no one knows what's going on behind social media That's and true, behind right? people we see on the street, you know, yeah. like we don't know. Yeah. It's very true. Totally. There was something else you wrote about on page. I think it was page 26. You said, but for myself, I do feel shame. Like there's something wrong with me because he isn't well. Is that something that you feel with your husband? No, I don't. I don't feel that way. No, I don't personally feel that way. I think the character felt that way. Okay. Cause yeah. I related to that so much as I don't know. I always think that like, I made a note of something like feeling like cursed or bad, like, I always I look at the world through this lens of like, of course, these things are happening. Like they wouldn't be happening if I were like a better person kind of thing. So like, I just really related to that specific line so much. Well, I think like for myself, what I tend to moralize, right. Which I think is like, that's what that is. It's sort of like a false morality. Like, um, what I tend to moralize is feelings, right? So like, I'm like, feeling bad is bad. Feeling good is good, you know? (laughs) And um, I can sort, and I'm like, no one else feels this way, right? Like that's where I tend to do it. Not so much with like the happenings in my life, but more like with what's going on on the inside. Yeah. I had a question about in the cactus, the husband and the father at different age, at ages, like, what exactly was going on slash how do I experience that like it felt like it was so healing how do we recreate this where did you get the idea for that um the idea just like came to me I was driving my sister lives in Vegas I live in LA and when my dad was at first in the ICU on the on the east coast we weren't able to go see him and so, yeah, because of it was COVID and nobody was allowed into the hospital for like months. And so um, I was like driving back and forth between like my sisters in Vegas, like just to be with her, you know, and during the time. And I was driving through Baker, California, which is the home of the world's largest thermometer. Um, and maybe the, it was the world's largest thermometer that gave me an idea of like a giant magical cactus. I'm not really sure, but it just like came to me. I love that. I know exactly what you're talking about too. On the way, yeah. Okay. I have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm imagining a giant thermometer, and it's just making me giggle. Yeah, it's the world's largest thermometer. But yeah, so I just imagine this because I was like, how do we get more time with people, right? Like Mm -hmm. imagining trying to like get more or to see people through different lenses, right? And I would, and so I don't know. Like it just there the this idea of this like big magic cactus where you could like go inside and like get more time with your loved ones or like see Mm. them at or like have time with them at different stages of their lives like that to me was that would be amazing I know and I feel like it if you have a strained relationship with the anyone like if you could see them as a child and see where those wounds came from it could be so illuminating and could give you so much empathy that's what it did for me I was imagining people that I really don't like as young people who were just wounded and it, it helped me soften a little bit to imagine that. Right. Like to see everybody as a child, Mm. to see all our fellow humans as children, right? Like that would be, I think like, I mean, I think that's like, I would say a truly spiritual, I mean, you know, defining spirituality is the same thing as defining love. Like is spirituality a feeling or is it an action? Like, you know, um, and to me, I guess it's 
I mean, how do you define spirituality? I don't know, but like, you know, like there's practices, right? Like there are these actions we can take regardless of how we feel. And I think like to practice, um, seeing others like as children is definitely like, I would say that's probably a spiritual act Mm. because it's, um, you know, it's a universality of emotion. There's it's, it's, it's dwelling in that universality of emotion because all of our life experiences are so different, you know, like no two people's lives are the same, but on the emotional plane, there's that commonality. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do that work with yourself, like inner child healing? Do you ever picture yourself younger? I've only done it like twice, but I should probably should. Do you guys? I've never done it, but I know it's going to fuck me up because it's hard. It's my therapist had me like put together like a Dropbox of like pictures of me when I was younger. Uh -uh. I literally can't even look like that's how bad it is. So I think it's necessary work for so many people, but it's really like, because we all judge ourselves so harshly. Like my clients will come in and say, like, I don't understand. Like, I don't feel this way about others, but I feel it about myself. And that's because we all are having our own like experiences that other people aren't privy to. So that's why inner child work can be so painful. Yes. I think that's true. And also there's like that, you know, all of our defenses that we've created and some of the ones that like really don't serve us anymore, but are like fighting to hang on. Right. Like they're just like fighting to hang on. And that's where they all come from is that feeling of vulnerability. And for me also, like, I think it's like adolescence too, like, um, like trying to protect myself from feeling like the self-loathing that I felt then, right. Like, Oh, I'm never going to let you feel this way again. Mm. How do you heal that? That is like everything that is everything. It's like not wanting to Like I relate so much to that. It's part of why I'm like, I don't know if I want to move back to LA because I never want to recreate my childhood. I don't ever want to feel like that kid felt. I don't want to feel like I don't have the life that I want, but it's like, how is that a life to live? I still don't have that answer, but like, how do we heal that? Yeah. It's so difficult. Mm. Yeah. It's really true. Wow. This is deep. It is. We're getting deep. We're getting to the, we're getting to the core. We are. We're getting inside the cactus. Yeah, we're in the cactus. We're in the we're in the cactus skeleton. And we have the grab and go bags. Yes. <laughs> I want one of those so bad right now. I've not I was can I tell you, I'm the most dramatic fucking person. The protagonist was saying how thirsty she was. And she wrote about it and wrote about it. And I, when I was on my hike the other day, we had been gone an hour. I was like, oh my God, I'm so thirsty. I think I'm as thirsty as she was in Death Valley oh and God. I'm gonna die. I'm like, Keith, I am so thirsty. Like I would, it it was like, it was wild how I made myself believe I was going to die, but I I didn't die. You didn't die. I was fine. Yeah. Yeah, No, people have told, people have said that they got really thirsty reading the book. Cause you know, and I think like part of that was, you know, like the protagonist's father is on a feeding tube. He hasn't had anything to eat in many or drink in many, many months. And, but meanwhile, she's like at the hospital and like, he's like, just so out of it and like, doesn't, and it points, like, doesn't really want her to be there. And she's like taking it personally. And then she experiences like profound thirst mm. and is like, Oh, like I would not be my, like, like this had nothing to do with me. You know, this was like about the thirst. Mm. That's- right. So and it's so ways. hard to see that. I think so much, so many of us like personalize and we see it through the lens in which we see ourselves. 
And a lot of the times it's not even about that. So true. Yeah. We always, I mean, we always tend to personalize, right? No matter, even if we're like aware, like it's still hard not to. Yeah. Can I ask you, Melissa, tacking on to the very beginning, we asked if you were a sad girl. Can I ask you your your favorite coping skills? Like when you get in your depression, like what are your favorite things to help yourself? Sure. So, um, well, it's funny because I feel like right now they're shifting, like all of the things that I've always done, like sort of like after the death of my father. And then like, there were some other really hard things in the past couple of years. Like, um, I, I like, this has been like one of the most challenging periods of my life. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I'm sort of looking for new tools, like the tools that once, like, it's almost like I need a bigger God, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I, like the tools that I relied on, like, for example, like talk therapy, like that I found was not enough anymore, you know, mm-hmm. or like, um, I think like, you know, I have a community of sober women that like, I, you know, like I love and like that keeps me sober, but like, it's not like gonna heal all the like inner churn, right? Like it's just, and so it's almost like I need like for myself, like tools that are all day, every day Mm. at times, because my mind has gone into like such overdrive, you know? So I'm actually in this period of my life right now where I'm like looking for new tools or actually, I think it's more like practicing some of the tools that I know, but like more intensely, right? Like I've had a meditation practice for like 18 years. And like Mm -hmm. that has served me like a great deal, but like to meditate once in the morning and once at night, like what about like the 17? Yeah. What about all day long, honey? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, but like, how do you do that without turning it into a compulsion? Like how do I, you know, turn to like a higher power, but without like every five seconds being like, God, 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 you know? So it's sort of this, so I'm really like, I feel like a baby in a lot of ways right now. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? Tell me some of your favorite tools. I'm like, do I have any? I know. Um, (laughs) I would say mindfulness because like mindfulness is a part of meditation, but it's something you can do throughout like the entire day. Even when you're driving, when I'm sitting with clients, like if I have an intrusive thought, it's just like noticing it and coming back to the now Um, Mm -hmm. therapy. I, I, I think my biggest realization is I need like specific trauma therapy, like EMDR. I don't know if you've ever done that but I think that will be my coping soon. But I have a book for you that I think that you would really like. So it's called The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. It sounds like a gimmicky self-help book. It's not, it's not about like being happy. It's like, there's so many mindfulness and like thought diffusion techniques. And it's a book that I tell every single one of my clients to read. The Happiness Trap. Yes. Mm -hmm. I 12 out of 10 recommend. It is so good. And it just helps with like really sticky, loud, noisy brains. Really? Gatekeeping, yeah. Allegra. You never told me about I that. I have. I swear I've mentioned this on an episode before. Oh, damn it. Why I was told to read it in my own therapy like 10 years ago, and it is so good. The I read the first edition. Trap. I've not read the second edition, so I hope it's not like different. But yeah, he's phenomenal. And any of his resources online, he's Dr. Russ Harris is really great. Because we do need tools. You can't just like have meditation in the morning and that's the only tool that you have. Right. No, we need, we need like diffusion and yes, yes. yes. Especially when it's like, especially when the thoughts are like really fast, you know? Right. It's like this one meditation is not helping. Right. Well, that's the other thing too. It's like, 
sometimes like, I feel like I'll go to bed and I'm like, okay, got this. You know, I'm like, (laughs) got it. Like we're all good. We know our tools. We know our path forward. Like we're, we see the lies. And then like, I wake up in the morning and it's like, when it's a thought and a feeling that's powerful punch. It's that shit. And that's when it almost feels like an urge sometimes is when you get like the thought paired with like that really intense feeling, yes. but it's just the thought. Like I remember when I said, I told my mom that I have OCD like for the first time, like 10 years ago. And she looked at me and she said, but can't you just like think a different thought? And I'm like, it's just not like, that's Brilliant. just how it works. But also it's not just a thought. It's not like what color is my hair? It's like the scariest thought that I could have. Mine was, mine is like, intrusive sexual thoughts, like truly would not wish that on anyone, but it comes with that feeling too. And that's what makes it so awful. It's like that immediate, like hit of dread and terror. Yes. Yeah. So when it's both of those, it's like diffusing, it's really hard. Yeah. And also, um, yeah, no, that's so interesting that like, right, right. It's not just a pure thought. It's not just a thought. It's it's a full body experience. Yes. And it can be like traumatizing because you're having to bear witness to like all of these scary thoughts and images. I would get a lot of intrusive images too, which people don't talk about as much. And it like that feeling, it just, it feels real. The feeling almost feels like evidence, even though it's so mm -hmm. true. The feeling does feel like evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how is my body lying to me? How is my brain lying to me? And they are, but just don't expect that of your own feelings. And it feels like a betrayal and it sucks because you want to be safe inside yourself. That's why I think it can be so traumatic. It's like, there is no escape. Like I I remember I walked into work one day and I was like, I looked high as a kite. My eyes were so red because I was crying from the OCD. And my boss said, like, I really need to just keep your problems at home. And I was like, but like, I don't think you get, like, I can't just like leave this at home. Yeah. Like it doesn't work like that. There's no escape from it. When did you become a therapist? Oh goodness. I started grad school at 23 and then started seeing clients. I think it's been over five years. And did you get like a LCSW or like an M? LMFT. LMFT. Yeah. And I trained at the OCD center of Los Angeles, which is like really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I had like the best OCD training and I'm like, I love what I do. I used to be a publicist and that was like, so (laughs) not meaningful. It was not the life for me. It's like a glorified babysitter. I love publicists. Don't get me wrong, but I have to do something else. Totally. I feel like you would be a good therapist, Melissa. I probably would. You would be so good. I know. You would have so many clients. I know. I know. I would want to be your client. Oh, same. (laughs) Like, so. (laughs) Wow. Blind leading. It's the blind leading the blind. I feel that way half the time. I'm like, are any of us supposed to be doing this? Yeah, but it's, it's nice to be around people who understand it's healing in itself to have a community of people who are like, oh, I know that feeling. I know that. Totally. Way of being. Yeah. Yeah. What is coming up for you, Melissa? Is there anything that you want to promote? Anything you're excited about? Anything we should know about Death Valley? No, just, you know, that's Death Valley's what's on the plate right now. Like readers read the book. Like I would read the book. If you haven't read it, I would love that Death Valley. Yeah, no, that's my main focus right now. I love that. And are you still writing? Like, do you write every day? Are you one of those people or no? Um, I was, I, I, I took like a month or two off this past couple months, but, um, I have some ideas for my next novel. So that'll be fun. 
Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yes. Well, we love, we love you. Thank you. No, for we really do. You're with us. We have been looking forward to this day for months. Thank you. We adore you. Yeah. Keep writing. We need your writing. This is so fun. Bye, Sad Girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our Sad Girl podcast and more Sad Girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at Sad Girls Who Read and TikTok at Sad Girls Good Books. We love you, Sad Girls.